open your Bibles to John chapter 15. John chapter 15, we're starting a new chapter today in the Gospel of John. And before we begin working through it at this time, I'll ask you to stand with me if you're able, and we'll read the first three verses together, and then pray once again. John chapter 15, beginning at verse 1. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Thank you. you may be seated. As you're being seated, let's go together to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, oh Lord, I thank you for this time, the privilege and opportunity to stand before men and women and children and proclaim your word. Oh God, you know there is no man worthy of such a task save your son. God, I ask that you would give me grace and help. Father, that you would do your pruning work in our hearts even now, even today. That you would be cutting away from us those things which keep us from bearing the fruit we ought to bear. Father, I pray that you give us a greater understanding of your son that we might see him as mighty, as good, as loving to us. Oh, Father, I pray for an experiential awareness of the presence of the Holy Spirit, that we would know that he is active among us, as you've promised that he would be. Father, please guard me from error, protect me from misspeaking, and bring the gospel with clarity to the hearts of any who are lost, Oh, Father, we who are saved need to hear it and know it and be confronted by it just the same. Oh, God, I pray you do these things for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you will recall a couple of weeks ago, our last message in the Gospel of John was finishing out chapter 14. And we were looking at God's devil. And we were seeing how it was the devil was working. He was active, if you'll recall, in really Jesus' death. Jesus, if you'll remember, he told the disciples, I'll no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. And we saw how the devil was planning and, and even stirring up Judas and the other leaders to crucify and kill Jesus. And yet it was God's purpose. And that was the primary thing we ended with. Jesus says, this devil, though he's after my death, he has no claim on me. Jesus' commitment was to his father. And it was the father's purpose that he died. Today we pick up here in verse 1. And keep in mind the context here of John. In John 15, they're getting so close to Jesus' betrayal as death, burial, and resurrection they're, they're right there. It's, it's the 11th hour. Here. I mean, they're getting down to the wire. And Jesus is ministering to His disciples in a very special, special way. He says to them, I am the true vine, 
and my father is the vine dresser. And there's really an almost an endless application in this analogy of Jesus being the true vine. He introduces this concept primarily to communicate to the disciples as well as us that he is the one and only true source of life and access to God. And this is a repeated truth. We saw back in chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. When Jesus says, I am the true vine, what he's saying is that if you are going to know the Father, it's not just by having an idea of Jesus in your head. It's not just agreeing with true things about Jesus. That's not when Jesus says no one comes to the Father except through me. What he's communicating is that the way that you get to the Father is you're actually connected to him. You get to the Father through a living, vital connection to Jesus Christ. So he says, I am the true vine. You must be connected to him. And right out of the gate, let me ask you, are you personally, individually connected to Jesus in this way? You imagine a, a branch hanging on a vine. It's actually connected. It's a part of the thing. And the vine doesn't go somewhere without the branch going also. It doesn't grow in a direction without the branch also going in that same direction. Are you connected to Jesus in this way? The branch on a vine is defined and determined by the vine itself. Everything that's true about the branch is true because of its vine. Whether it's alive or the direction it grows or the fruit it produces, its entire existence is determined by the vine. I ask again, does this describe your relationship to Christ? Do you see what he's saying here in this? <coughs> the primary description of our lives should be seen as a result of our connection to Jesus. Our relationship to Him should determine what we look like, the direction we're going, the fruit we're producing, and the life that we're enjoying. And notice Jesus says, I am the true vine. Why does He say true vine? Why couldn't He just say, I am the vine? Well, it's because there are many false vines. There are many false Christs that seek to steal your attention and your affection. And there are those things in the world that will offer the things that Jesus says He alone can give. The world will say, here's a way you can have peace. Here's a way you can have life. Here's a way you can have joy. Contentment. But they cannot deliver those things truly. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 18, John says, Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. Just a small side point on that scripture there. There are a lot of people that look periodically on the news cycles and they see activity going on in the Middle East and they start thinking, well, must be getting close to the end of the world. We must be living in the last days to which I always respond. Yes, we are. We've been living in them for a while now. John says it that is the last days. It's the last hour. It's coming down to an end, though it doesn't seem like it to us. But the primary point in that text is this. He says that many antichrists have come into the world. Think of this. When we're talking about Jesus saying, I am the true vine, there are others who will present themselves as true and even as Christian. That are not. They are false and they will deceive you. 
First John chapter four and verse one, he writes and says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. So we've got many antichrists that are seeking to influence us in the name of religion. And we also have many spirits. Many spirits, there's a connotation there to demonic activity, but not only in demons, there are false prophets that are being led by those demons. And we typically would associate the idea of an antichrist or a false prophet with a deceptive person. You'd think, well, that's surely what it means. And we've got to be aware that there are people who will mislead us. But the most dangerous influences, they're not going to show up wearing horns and carrying a pitchfork. They're not going to say, hi, I'm from the devil. Now listen to what I've got to deceive you with. That's not how it's going to happen. They're going to come and John's writing to Christian people who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, who have some degree of discernment already. And he says he strongly warns them repeatedly about these deceptive forces. Those who cause the most harm are those who have an appearance of godliness and virtue. What they're teaching seems right and good for the most part. But the idea of an antichrist or a false prophet is not limited to deceptive people. but also can be applied to false vines that influence us away from God, which have their origination in our own hearts and minds. Jesus says, I am the true vine. That, that connotates that there are false vines. And I ask, what is the source of your vitality? That's the whole picture of this vine branch relationship, that the life in the branch comes from the vine. That's the point. Jesus is the only one who truly gives life in that way. Jesus says, I am the true vine. The next thing he says is my father is the vine dresser. God, the father is the chief overseer of every branch that is connected to the true vine, Jesus Christ. He is the vine dresser. This truth brings, it should, on the one hand, bring a degree of comfort and encouragement, but on the other hand, a sober-minded fear. And that all is going to depend which, which hand you're, you're looking at, comfort, encouragement, or fear, depends on your relationship to the true vine. Think about this. On the one hand, God the Father's direct and intimate interest and focus is in His vineyard. And that carries with it, it should carry with it, a confident assurance that He is going to be faithful to care for every single branch. The Father's the vine dresser and He doesn't miss anything. He sees every need and every concern and every sin and He's going to deal with them accordingly. James 1.17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation, or shadow due to change. God the Father is the vine dresser and every good gift comes from Him. One of the primary and overarching points that Jesus is making, and not just here in John 15, but as He's going into 16 and 17, is that God the Father has a vested interest in the lives of His people. The Father is interested in working in the lives of His people. And you can rest assured that God, as the vine dresser, is going to withhold no good thing from you if you're one of His branches. God is the owner of the vineyard. And He's going to make sure that every branch is healthy and in a condition to produce the fruit He desires them to produce. 
You just think about this, any farmer. You're raising a crop and you're going to do what's necessary to produce the crop. You're going to work and cultivate the field. You're going to fertilize or do whatever you've got to do to make your crops come in. And the crop that God is after is much more eternal and abiding and significant and glorious than the money you might make farming or the food that you get to eat. There's something eternal in this, but it's a very fitting, a very fitting analogy. On the other hand, so on the one hand, God the Father's the vine dresser. That's really encouraging to the Christian. God's going to take care of me. He's going to do what's needed in my life. But on the other hand, God the Father being the vine dresser should produce a, a concern, a deep concern in any false branch that might be here. God is the vine dresser. And this is the exact direction Jesus is going in the next verse. But think about this. That any false branch is stealing vitality and nourishment from the true branches. You think about that? That's how this works. If you have branches that aren't supposed to be there, they're not producing fruit, they're still absorbing nutrients and water and they're stealing from the other branches. They're, they're hurting the other branches. And God the Father is aware of that as the vine dresser and He's going to take care of those branches that are not producing fruit. Hebrews 4.13 says that no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. God the Father sees and knows who are false branches. And it's all going to be exposed one day and it's currently exposed before God. You see, God's vineyard, do you know what it is? God's vineyard is his church. And he has a personal and a continuous ongoing living interest in the goings-on in His vineyard. Nothing escapes God's gaze. From bitter murmuring, murmurings of discontented Christians to a quiet, lonely prayer of a believing child. God sees all these things. He's interested in them. And He's watching. The Father is the vine dresser. Verse 2, He goes on and says this, in the light of the Father being the vine dresser and Jesus being the true vine, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Now that doesn't surprise us at all, does it? After we've been seeing God's interest as the vine dresser, he's going to take away those branches that don't bear fruit. The Father, the vine dresser, will not abide branches that don't bear fruit. And those who present themselves as branches, as though they belong to Christ, and yet they don't bear fruit, they're going to be taken and cast into outer darkness and destroyed by fire. And Jesus is going to revisit that idea of these branches going to be burned at the end of all of this. And in one terrible and eternal sense, your profession of faith is absolutely worthless if you're not bearing fruit. That's one thing Jesus is saying. That you're a branch. You're presenting yourself as being attached to Jesus, but you're not bearing fruit. The Father is not deceived. This means that there are those in the church and that those who are associated with Christianity that have never truly been saved. There are those who don't actually know God and they present themselves as branches much as we heard in the Sunday school this morning about those those who come into a place like this and they've got the right language, but they're never changed on the inside. They're never made to know and love God through Jesus Christ. Essentially, they don't have life in them because they're not really in the vine. 
Now, the question I have for you is, is, does that seem harsh that God would remove people this way? You, would you think that, well, at least they're here, at least they're trying, at least they're trying to be religious. Is it a little harsh or critical that God would do this? Why would the father do this? I'm going to tell you there are at least two primary reasons that the father is going to do this work and this removing of branches that are not bearing fruit. The first we see, if you want to look with me at Ezekiel chapter 36, I feel like this is a scripture that we consider often, but it's always good to go back and reconsider it, especially in light of our context today. Ezekiel 36, begin reading with me at verse 22. Why will God remove, this is not the scripture yet, why I'm asking, why will God remove branches that don't bear fruit? Verse 22, we read this. Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You see the picture? The nation of Israel going by the title God's chosen people and living in idolatry and sin. And God says, my name's being profaned because of you. You're saying you're my people, but you're living this way. That's not going to work. We're going to change that. We're going to fix that. I'm going to change you on the inside. I'm going to give you a new spirit, a new heart. The first reason that God the Father removes fruitless branches is His own glory, His own namesake. The testimony of God's faithfulness and His power are demonstrated when His people bear the fruits they were meant to bear. That's the first reason. The second reason has to do with the scripture from Matthew 15, 26. I just preached this last week in a different context. But a statement Jesus makes to this Canaanite woman in Matthew 15, he answers her and says, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Now that contained in that scripture is a very significant reality in light of the removal of fruitless branches. The second reason that God the Father will remove fruitless branches is for the benefit and provision of the true branches. As I mentioned before, this branch that's not bearing fruit is still absorbing nutrients and water, and it's in the way, and it's weighting down. The the entire vine is being weighted down by this, this worthless branch with no fruit on it. God is going to remove fruitless branches in order to care for and benefit those who are truly converted. The unconverted church member steals blessings and encouragements from genuine believers as they demand time and energy that should be focused on God's people. Don't take the children's bread and give it to dogs. Give it to who it's meant for. 
And there's a very real sense in which even in our own local church here, Kelly and I have a responsibility to care for you all in a very unique and special way such that we are obligated and we, we are supposed to, by God, care for you to a greater degree than any other Christian. Even There's a responsibility whenever our focus in this local setting is taken off of you all and, and we're dealing with other worries and other people. It's taking away from blessings and encouragements that are made and meant for you. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Do you see the connection in this and the removal of these branches that don't belong? It's for the sake and the benefit of those that we are going to give an account to. And in a like way, God is saying to us in this text, Jesus is telling us, these branches are going to be removed in order that you and I as Christians would bear more fruit. I can tell you there are often times I love evangelizing and I love ministering to other people in other contexts, but there's a line that we've got. I've got to watch because if I'm not careful, then I can begin investing my time in other good things that take away from the fruit opportunity for fruit building in this church. The removal of lost and unconverted branches is a benefit to those who are saved. And that's what he says next. The next part of verse two says in every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. The father, the vine dresser is faithful to prune his own people. Have you been pruned by God? If you say I've never been pruned, I've never had a pruning experience. You're not a Christian. God promises he's going to prune those who are his. And you see how this works if you imagine like a tree. If you've got a tree and it's got a whole bunch of branches, then it's not going to be producing much fruit because the tree is using those nutrients to sustain the branches. And if you want the fruit to not be bitter, if you want the fruit to be sweet, you trim back several of the branches so the nutrients and water can go into the fruit. That's the picture Jesus is giving us here. In this text, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. He cuts off the thing that's sucking the energy and life out of that branch. The thing that's not helpful, it's not needful. If you have one branch and it's got an offshoot over here that's requiring a lot of energy and weighting the thing down, you cut that thing off in order that it would have the strength, the life, the nutrients in order to bear fruit. So here's the question. In light of what we were just looking at, the one who's unconverted, the branch that's not bearing fruit, it's cut off, it's thrown into the fire. And the one that is bearing fruit, well, it gets cut on too. It gets pruned. There's all the difference in the world between facing the wrathful judgment of God and receiving the loving discipline of God. And sometimes they don't look all that different whenever we're just looking from a human perspective. Let me ask you this. Are God's frowning providences in your life a judgment against you? Or is it lovingly pruning you to produce more fruit in you? Look with me at Hebrews chapter 12. We get a, a vivid picture of this pruning and what it's supposed to look like. Hebrews 12, 
Begin reading with me at verse 3. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there from whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. You see what we're being told here about God's discipline? Children, listen. If your parents love you, they're going to discipline you. They're going to rebuke you. They're going to deal with you whenever you don't mind, whenever you're in sin. And it's a good thing that God tells us to do. And God who loves us is not going to treat us as illegitimate children. He's going to discipline us. He's going to prune us. And being pruned is not a pleasant experience. That's what he's saying in the moment. The discipline's not fun in the moment. It's not enjoyable when it happens, but it's good. It's good. The illustration of pruning a branch is extremely fitting. And the process of sanctification is at times grueling and painful. And it involves cutting off and stripping away all the things that are attached to us that don't drive and direct us towards God and bearing fruit. God's loving kindness is such that He's willing to bring us through painful soul-stretching ordeals in order to remove those things that hinder and prevent us from bearing fruit. The fruit that we're meant to bear is ultimately this, for God's glory and for our good. Another scripture to consider is from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6-7. through It says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, You have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. One of the most impactful things I've ever heard on this scripture, many of you are familiar with Joel Tiger, who's a missionary in Turkey, got cancer, passed away a couple of years ago. Before he died, he made a series of videos where he was sharing truth with people. And in one of those videos, he referenced this scripture. And you know what he said about it? In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. This is what he said. Five young children and a wife left behind. He's about to die. And he says, my God loves me so much that he's willing to put me through cancer and this trial in order, in order to prove My faith in order to work in me what is good and what is necessary. You want to talk about a testimony. 
To face that and be able to say, God is doing something that would not happen in my life if this didn't happen. Jesus says every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes that it may bear more fruit. Are you and I able to rejoice in our trials? Can you say that pruning that God brought me through was good? It was really actually a good thing. This is an idea David repeats a couple of times in the Psalms. In Psalm 119, verse 71, he says, It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. There's a pruning in David. I was afflicted, he says, and it was good for me. And then in Psalm 51 and verse 8, David says this, Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Do you hear what David's saying? God broke my bones. And I want them to rejoice. I want my scars to cry to me of the goodness of God. The suffering I faced was serving me. It was a minister to me, sent by God to serve me for His glory. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. This is one of the reasons, one of the many reasons that the prosperity garbage is just that garbage. It's because if you take away suffering, if you don't have a theology of suffering and God's sovereignty, you know how much you miss out on seeing God's love and goodness to you? Imagine if every time you were you were ornery and, and sinful as a child, if you're if your parents never dealt with that sin in you. There's no discipline. And I could look back and all of you can look back and say, well, my parents disciplined me. It was for my good. I needed that. Even as the Scripture says, we respect our parents when they do that. You see, it is God's goodness and His love that move Him to prune His people. We ought to see every trial, every difficulty, every ounce of pain and suffering in our lives as God the Father, the faithful vine dresser, pruning us for His glory and for our good. Romans 8.28 And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. Now this, what I'm telling you is a whole lot easier for me to say than it is for me or any of you to live out. To face hardships and look at the situation and know in your soul God is for me. And He's doing something good in me through this. And I don't understand it. And I'm hurting. It's a whole lot easier to say this than it is to actually think this way. But what kind of an impact do you think it would have on yourself if you began looking at all difficulties and asking this question, what good thing is my Father doing for me in this? What good thing is He doing? When we come to our last verse today, verse 3. He says, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Now that scripture comes as such a blessed reminder after everything we've been considering. How many of you hear Jesus saying that the, the branches that are not bearing fruit, they're getting taken away and you immediately begin to look, am I really saved? And how do I know that? And begin measuring the fruit I'm bearing. You, you see how Jesus is cut, shutting that thought down? You hear Him say, if you're not bearing fruit, you're getting taken away. It's only the fruit bearers. And we begin measuring our fruit. Jesus knew we needed to hear this. You're already clean because of the Word that I've spoken to you. 
There is an absolute necessity of having practical, righteous fruit in your life if you're a Christian. If there is no practical, measurable fruit in your life, you're not a Christian, but no amount of Christian fruit makes you a Christian. That's the point. It's not because of your fruit. The fruit comes because you've been made clean. He says already you're clean. If you measure your salvation by your own fruit bearing, there's only really two two ways you're going to go. You're either going to become as arrogant and prideful as you can imagine. If you actually believe that I'm in right standing before God and I know it because look how I'm living, you're going to be arrogant. Or you're going to live in a constant state of fear and discouraged depression. You see this? If I look at my failures and I'm constantly measuring my connection to God through my fruit, that's hopeless. Hopeless. Because you're going to constantly be sinning and needing to repent. You know, repentance is a fruit of, of salvation. Repentance is a fruit from being connected to this vine. Jesus says already you're clean. It is the authoritative declaration of Jesus Christ that makes us clean. And nothing else can cleanse us of our sin and shame. Jesus says, and think of this, we oftentimes think somebody says, well, how are you saved? And you might say, well, I have faith. I believe the gospel. I repented and believed. You might say something like that. I got a new heart. These are common, true expressions. But foundationally, it's what Jesus accomplished and what He said that saves us. That's what makes us clean. It's not even a, a heartfelt and genuine prayer of repentance. It's not your faith in Jesus that actually saves you. It's what He did and what He said that saves you. Your faith just connects you to those things. You see the difference? Your faith doesn't actually make something happen. It unites you to something that's already happened. That's what He's saying. It's my Word that's made you clean. Already you're clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Paul knew this. Paul says in Philippians 3, 8 through 9. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. What makes you clean? What makes you righteous? This is it. Not according to the law. And Jesus declares. He declares them to be clean. He's declared you if you're a Christian to be clean. And our faith is the lens through which we see that declaration. It's how we see and connect to that reality. And the way in which we are personally and intimately connected to what Jesus has said. That's what your faith is. Now let me ask you, what has Jesus declared? This is where we begin to bring this towards a close and begin applying and pressing the reality of Jesus says you're already clean because of the Word. What Word? Well, you could go and you could search all through John up until this point and see thing after thing after thing that Jesus said concerning sin and concerning salvation, concerning Himself. But let's summarize it. 
from Mark 1, verses 14 through 15. It says, Now after John, this is John the Baptist, and after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus, he's made us clean by the word he's spoken. He's spoken. He's declared God's perfect plan of salvation. And that salvation does not come without his own cross. That's where he's going. He's going to accomplish the very thing he's been declaring to his disciples that he came to do. He's declared his own righteousness. He had no sin. And he went and died in the place of those who had nothing but sin. That's all we knew was our sin. This is what he's proclaimed. This is what he's declared. And when the wrath of God fell upon him until every drop was absorbed, he said, it is finished. The words of Jesus Christ are what clean, cleanse us from our sin. And the message that comes to us today is that if you are looking at your life and you're not sure, am I a branch that's bearing fruit or not? Let me tell you, it doesn't matter whether you're a branch bearing fruit or not. You need to be reminded and hear this either way. Jesus Christ died for sinners. He died for fruitless branches that He might make them fruitful. That's the reason He came. And that's the source of our righteousness and our hope. And that's very foundational as we continue working through John 15. Keep that etched in your brain. When you see this discussion of fruit and what God's doing and working in you, be constantly reminded. Hear this over and over and over in your mind, in your soul. If you're a Christian, you're already clean. You don't get any cleaner than clean. You don't. There's not any any more done away with your sin than has been done. Jesus has already done it completely if you are his. And the question we're going to continue to appeal back to is this. Are you connected to the true vine? He says every branch in me. We didn't really focus on that, but just are you connected? Every branch that's in me, not just near me, but attached to me. That's the point, And that's where we're moving in our coming verses. And so once again, if you're a believer, rejoice, rejoice in God's trials and the suffering that he brings into your life. Rejoice. He's he's doing something in your life by it. If you're not a Christian, see it as a call to repent. See God, see your the, the yeah, I've heard testimony after testimony of, of people that before as God was getting ready to save them, he took them rock bottom so that they had nowhere to look but up. He, he takes people and causes suffering in their life for His good purposes. I pray these things will be a constant encouragement to us as we move forward. So if you'll bow with me, we'll go ahead and close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank You for Your providence. I thank You that You withhold no good thing from those who are Yours. And that even our difficulties are still good and perfect gifts from You. Father, I pray that You would bring salvation to the soul of one here today that does not know You. Oh, Father, those of us who do, remind us once again of Your love, of the cross, of our Savior, 
and his power to save. God, I ask that you will have been glorified and that you will keep these things in our minds. In Jesus' name, amen.